For those just joining us, I'm preaching through uh, the book of Acts. We're now in Acts chapter 13, starting in verse 13. Acts 13, 13, the book of Acts tells us about uh, the, the early apostles, 12 apostles and other early Christians, how they went out to share the news about Christ after he had ascended back to heaven. Jesus came, he lived, he died, he rose again to pay for the sins of the world, he ascended back to heaven, and then the early Christians went out and began to share the news about Christ, and that's the book of Acts, following uh, the, the early progress of uh, the believer shortly after the ascension of Jesus. Uh, at this point in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 13, there's a church that had been started in a place called Antioch, Antioch in Syria. We're going to see in this passage today a different Antioch, Antioch in Pisidia. But this early church in Syria, Antioch, they sent out Saul and Barnabas on a mission trip, the first missionary journey for Paul in the book of Acts. They have just gone through Cyprus, and and a man named Sergius Paul was converted there in Cyprus, and Saul and Barnabas, along with their assistant John Mark, are now going to leave Cyprus. Let's pray, and then we'll read. Well, Father, we just thank you for every opportunity to open your scriptures. We believe that this right here is one of the primary ways that you cause your kingdom to come on this planet, in and through your holy scriptures, when your Holy Spirit enlightens our heart to comprehend your scriptures. So we would just pause and ask here for this gift of enlightenment. We would pray, Father, that you would send your spirit across this room to turn the light bulbs on in our souls, that you would enlighten us so that we might see Christ and see the glories of your kingdom in this text here today. This is all in your hands. We can't do it. I can't do it. Father, it's not by power. It's not by might. It's by your spirit. And so we just surrender to you and ask, Father, that you would work in and through this text for our eternal good. We thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, amen. Acts chapter 13, reading, starting in verse 13. Now, Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia, and on the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them, saying, Brothers, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and, motioning with his hand, said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm he led them out of it. And for about 40 years he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior. 
Jesus as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize Jesus nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found him no, in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to, leave him ex, to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news, that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us their children by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not leave your holy one, let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and he saw corruption, but he whom God raised up did not see corruption corruption let it be known to you therefore brothers that through this man through Jesus forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a new work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. And as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. And the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life, believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You know, 
we have some tremendously powerful things in our world. You could just stop and think about some of the powerful things you know about. Just did a little research this week and found here this Navy railgun can fire an 18-inch bullet 5,000 miles an hour, piercing three walls of reinforced concrete, extremely powerful. Or this powerful Three Gorges Dam, most powerful in the world in China, producing in one day enough power to run the city of Orlando for two weeks. Or this insanely powerful Carolina Reaper Pepper, so hot, so hot it's been described as, quote, nothing but pain and like a white-hot ball of nickel implanted just above my stomach. And if you've been to our fall cook-off, you've probably tasted it in Randy Lemus's uh, chili. Some people who eat that pepper get uncontrollable hiccups, most just vomit. But you know, there is one thing in our world that is probably more powerful than all other things. We We don't typically think of it as powerful, and yet it is. It has impacted all of human history. And what is it? Well, it's our words. The power of a spoken or a written word. You know, you you were taught as a kid that words aren't powerful. (laughs) Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me which has been true for no one. Because words do hurt. The harsh words of a bully, the angry words of a friend. Or, or words can also heal. The tender words of, of a parent or the gentle words of, of, a, of a spouse. And you think about it, all of human society ultimately rests on words. Politics, we've seen so many words flying around lately. It rests on words or education or business. All of our relationships are all grounded on, depending on, living or dying on words. And you know, out of all of the the powerful words that will ever be uttered on this planet, the most powerful words by far that we could ever speak or write are gospel words. The good news words about Christ found in the Bible. The the, the simple sharing of gospel words about Christ. We, We either speak or we write about the life, death, resurrection of Christ. Most powerful words on the entire planet. Impacting not just human history, but all of eternity. Able to save souls. Romans 1.16 says this, I am not ashamed of the gospel, of the words about Christ, for it, the gospel, is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Those simple words that we, that we share about Christ, it's like this atom bomb that we possess. God works through those words, those simple words, to raise up worshipers for himself, to, to make disciples, to make followers of Christ. God works through those words to spread his kingdom around the globe. 
You know, a thousand years ago in the Crusades, some people tried to spread God's kingdom, tried to conquer the world for Christ with swords and, and spears. But that's not how God works. No, God spreads his kingdom not with swords, but words. How big a difference one little letter makes as we simply share Christ. And we see it in this text. God spreading his kingdom here, making more disciples through words. It is such an important text for us, texts like this, because we're called to do the same. Christians today also called to work together to spread God's kingdom through words. Through the simple sharing of the gospel with those around us in spoken or written words. And we can learn some things here in this text about sharing the gospel. About the power of the gospel. We see three things in this text that we'll look at this morning. Here they are on the screen. We see first here a gospel door. And then a gospel word. And finally a a gospel division. And the first thing we see here very clearly, the first point today, a gospel door. God now just sovereignly opens this door for Paul and Barnabas to share the gospel. Verse 13 says Paul and Barnabas now left the island of Cyprus. They're accompanied by their young servant, Barnabas' cousin, John Mark. Their assistant, probably functioning as some sort of ministerial intern. He's learning the the ropes from Paul and, and Barnabas. And they all now set sail for Perga in Pamphylia. I have a map here for you. You can see they were on the island of Cyprus down at the bottom here in Paphos. And they now left and sailed 90 miles up, most likely to Italia right there, Asia Minor, which is now the modern-day Turkey. And they probably then walked another 12 miles north up to, to Perga. And something happens there in Perga. If you look at the end of verse 13, Luke, who wrote this, says, And John, John Mark, left them. And returned to Jerusalem. He probably went back to his mother's house. Where the early Christians had been meeting there in Jerusalem. Luke doesn't say why he left here. But it will cause tension between Paul and Barnabas. Paul will later in the book of Acts, he will want to go back to this same area. Revisit these cities here. And Acts 15.37 says this. Now Barnabas wanted to take with him John called Mark back to this area, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas so that they separated from each other. So this is a big thing, and and it, it seems that John Mark just kind of abandoned them, tucked his tail, and ran back to Mama. And things had maybe gotten tougher on on this trip. The, The start down in Cyprus, maybe not that bad. Cyprus at this time was called Happy Island because of the warm weather. It was like doing missions in the Bahamas. Uh, But they then hit opposition on Cyprus, this magician who had resisted them, and then this 90-mile voyage north to Asia Minor. 
possibly rough seas. There could have been sickness. And they have now landed on a very rocky coastline. And to get where they ultimately want to go here, up to Antioch in Pisidia, they, they will now have to travel 100 miles north, most likely on foot, climbing up 4,000 feet of rocky terrain over the cold Taurus mountains, and John Mark has apparently had enough and left. And we say when the going gets tough, the tough get going. They, they keep moving, they get to it, and the going got tough here. Then John Mark got going back home. I think at this point it's kind of like the soldier with you in battle in your foxhole and the battle gets hot and he runs, leaving you all alone. And you know what probably happened here is is that John Mark probably now sees the realities of a missionary life, of, of a life on mission. And it was just too much for John Mark at this time. He may have romanticized this thing at the start, thought it'd be fun. Travel, see new places, man. People will flock to Christ in faith. And reality has now smacked him between the eyes. And he knows this life on mission, missionary life, is not easy. Packed with difficulties, trials, pain, days of seeing no fruit whatsoever. And it's just a really good reminder for us because God has called us to a life on mission. To work with one another, to spread the gospel words. Maybe not as a missionary in another country, that might not be your calling, but in your neighborhood, in your workplace, working with your life group on mission. And you know what? We can have this very idealistic notion of what a life on mission will be. You know, we, we think it's going to be easy. That, 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 that we'll just instantly figure out as a life group where God wants us to go. God will just instantly open doors for the gospel and people will instantly fall on their knees and cry out, what must I do to be saved? And it doesn't work like that. We go out and it's nothing but difficulty. It's conflict in your group. It's confusion then in your home. It's closed doors. It's days of seeing no fruit. And you know one of the reasons? Because Satan hates mission. If you stay inside, keep the gospel inside, he's relatively pleased, but you aim to go and spread the kingdom through these gospel words. And Satan resists. And and so many times we then give up. And I think God wants to manage our expectations here in Acts and in the rest of the Bible. I think right here in this text, he's saying, look, Christians, how hard it is. Even John Mark, who will eventually write the book of Mark in the Bible, left because things got too hard. God wants to manage our expectations here about a life on mission. In 1914, Ernest Shackleton He was going to attempt to cross the Antarctica, to to cross Antarctica, the entire continent. Extremely dangerous mission, and Shackleton managed expectations. He advertised for recruits in a local paper like this. Here's his newspaper ad 
The writing there reads, Men wanted for hazardous journey. Small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return, doubtful, honor and recognition in case of success. You talk about giving people realistic expectations. He did. Let's people know right up front, this will be hard. And listen, Christian, you and I need to recognize that as well. It will not be easy on mission. So prepare for hardship. And when it does get hard, and it will, don't quit. Just keep going by the grace of God. John Mark turns back here, but Paul and Barnabas press on without him. They leave Perga now on foot, most likely, 100-mile journey north, climbing 4,000 feet up the Taurus Mountains to Antiochian Pisidia. It's a different Antioch from where they originally started on this journey. Here's the map again. They originally started over there on the east, Antioch of Syria, and they now travel through Cyprus and all the way up north there, Antioch in Pisidia. And you can see that it's part of the province of Galatia, the pink right there, which is important. Paul will later write the book of Galatians to churches that he will now start in Galatia. Pisidia and Antioch was the seat of the Roman government in southern Galatia, important place, primarily a Gentile city, non-Jewish, but also a, 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 a Jewish population there. And God now just sovereignly opens a door in Antioch for the gospel. Verse 14 says that on the Sabbath, on Saturday, when Jews met for services, the Jewish Sabbath, Paul and Barnabas went to a synagogue that day. That's Paul's pattern in the book of Acts. When he reaches a new city, he starts in the synagogue to share Christ with Jews. The, the Mishnah tells us what a, the Jewish Mishnah tells us what synagogue services looked like back then. There was a particular order. They started with the Shema, um, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There were then some prayers. Then there were a couple of readings from the Old Testament scriptures, the first two thirds of your Bible. There was first a reading from the Old Testament law books. And then there was a reading from the Old Testament prophetic books, followed then by an exhortation, a little homily, a sermon like we do here. And these people in this synagogue now in Antioch, well, they asked Paul and Barnabas to give the sermon, not knowing what they're asking for. And why in the world would they ask these two foreigners to give the sermon? It's like some stranger walks in, hey, buddy, would you like to preach this morning? Well, listen, you got to remember that Paul was trained as a Pharisee, a Jewish rabbi. And it's very likely that Paul, very shrewdly, when he visited these foreign synagogues, would wear his Pharisee garb, his robes, because... Traveling rabbis would be asked to speak. 
Isn't it amazing the way God can use your previous life to open doors for the gospel? Your, your previous experience to become a doctor, and all of a sudden you have an open door to the mission field that no one else could do but a doctor. Or you have a past experience in some sort of physical abuse even maybe, God forbid, but it's possible. And God can then somehow open a door later for you to minister to others who have been physically abused, which other people might not be able to do. God's ways of using our past life sovereignly to open doors to share the gospel. God has opened a door now sovereignly for these guys to share Christ. And you know God can open similar doors for us. You know, we, we should pray for gospel doors to share the words of Christ. Paul did. Colossians 4.3, Paul said this. Paul said, pray for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. So to pause right there, let me ask you, Christian, when's the last time you prayed that? God, open a door for the word with my neighbors, with my relatives, with, with my coworkers. When, when's the last time your life group, you got on your knees and you sought God in persevering prayer? God, open a door for us to declare the mysteries of Christ. We're in a battle. And it takes this persevering prayer for these open doors. But man, can I encourage you, then look for open doors. You, you think of Paul and Barnabas here. They were looking for a door. They were actively seeking. They, they're not just sitting back like many Christians. Well, if a gospel door hits me between the eyes, well, I guess I'll, I'll do something. No, they were, they were actively looking, on the move, searching. And man, that, that, that should be us too. Open eyes, open hearts, looking, waiting for this gospel door. And may God then help us to walk through those doors. That's the first thing we see here, this, this gospel door. And the second thing we see in this text is a gospel word. Man, you, you, you talk about God throwing you a softball. Well, God just did it to Paul. These people saying, hey, do you got anything to share with us but Paul still had to walk through the door and he did and man I, I just we're not going to hit everything obviously in what Paul shares here I want to point out a few things today one thing I want you to notice I want you to notice how Paul contextualizes the gospel here he shares the basics about Christ here but man he molds his message here to connect with this particular audience with this context this audience here in this synagogue, the entire atmosphere here was Jewish. Jews and God-fearers, Luke says, or Gentiles who converted to Judaism. And Paul tailors his gospel message here to meet these people where they are. A very Jewish presentation of the gospel here. You know, later on, Paul doesn't always do it like this. Later on in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 17, when Paul shares Christ in Athens, there are no Jews there, just Greeks there, and there's nothing Jewish in Paul's message. Paul just knows his audience, and he contextualizes, he molds his message accordingly. Something that we can learn. Let me encourage you, Christian, know your audience. 
Man, get in there with your neighbors. Get in there with your lost friends. Get in there with your lost relatives and and, and love them and get to know them, their hopes, their dreams, their fears. And you can then share the gospel in a way they'll understand. Charles Spurgeon, a famous preacher in England in the 1800s, he had a pastor's college. And he taught young men how to, how to preach. And he told his young students that in order to share the gospel effectively, they had to study three different books. One, they had to study the Bible. They had to know the Bible to share the gospel effectively. Two, he said they had to study the newspaper. Know their culture. And three, he said, they had to know their audience. They had to study their people so that they would know how to share the gospel in ways those particular people would understand. And Paul knows his audience here. Jewish audience, so it's a very Jewish presentation of the gospel. Man, Paul goes out of his way here to connect Jesus to the Old Testament Scriptures, the Jewish Bible. Paul shows here that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Jewish Scriptures. The first thing Paul does here, verses 17 to 23, we won't look at them in detail, First thing he does, though, is he just gives this quick sketch of Old Testament history. This sketch of Jewish history from their slavery in Egypt to the promised land and then how God gave them judges and then gave them uh, their first king, Saul, and then gave them their next king, David. This little sketch of Jewish history. But listen, Paul does it for a reason. You know, it's funny when you think about it. It's kind of like you walk in here today and I just start giving a history of the United States. Uh, 200 years ago, we were uh, delivered from, uh, from England through some tea in the water, and here we are today. And there, it made no sense to you why I started. Like, there is a, a reason why Paul did it. Paul wanted to connect Jewish history to Christ. You look at verse 23. He, you know, before we read this, what he does here, he goes through history up to King David, and then he basically leaps over the next thousand years directly to Christ. Look at verse 23. Of this man, David's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Back in the Old Testament books. You see, the Old Testament books promised that a descendant of David's would be the Messiah. The Savior who would save God's people. And Paul just said that Jesus was that promised Messiah. Fulfillment of Old Testament scripture. But uh, but then Paul goes on here to show that both the death and resurrection of Jesus also fulfilled scripture. First, he mentions the death of Christ, if you look at verse 28. He says it this way, he says, And though they, the, the Jewish religious leaders in Israel, they found in him, in Jesus, no guilt worthy of death, 
Well, they still asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him in the Old Testament books, they took him down from the tree and laid him in the tomb. This is a statement from Paul. The death of Jesus also fulfilled Old Testament scripture. And then he touches on the resurrection. If you look at verse 30. He says, but God raised him, raised Jesus from the dead. Then look at verse 32. And we bring you people here in this synagogue the good news that what God promised to the fathers in Jewish history, well, this he has now fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus also a fulfillment of Old Testament Scripture. So you can just see what Paul's doing. He's connecting Christ to the Old Testament. He's demonstrating Christ to be the fulfillment of Jewish Scripture. And you know, that right there, what we would call that today, what Paul just did, that is preaching Christ from the Old Testament. Man, it is easy to take Old Testament texts and you get up and preach and it comes out as nothing but moralism. Do this. Be like Abraham. Be like David. But All of those texts ultimately point to Christ. And we have to get to Christ and preach Christ from the Old Testament. Charles Spurgeon once said to a student in his pastor's college, he said, young man, in all of England, you can find a road that leads to London, and Christ is the London of the Bible. From any text in the entire Bible, even the Old Testament text, you can find a road that leads to Christ. So, young man, when you preach, no matter where you are in the Bible, find the road that leads to Christ and beat a path down that road to Christ for your people. And Paul has now beaten a path down a road to Christ from the Old Testament. Christ is the fulfillment, the Savior the Messiah. And Paul then calls for a response here in this Jewish synagogue. Something all good sharing of the gospel does. At some point you have to call people to respond. I've mentioned this before, but Rico Tice in his book Honest Evangelism, he says that sharing the gospel involves three things. It involves identity, mission, and call. Identity, you tell people who Jesus is. Mission, you tell people why Jesus came, what he did. And three, you then tell people what God calls them to do. And Paul hits all three. Identity, he says Jesus is Savior. He's the Messiah. Mission, well, Jesus came to die. He came to rise again to fulfill Old Testament Scripture. To pay the penalty for our sin. And now the call. What should these people now do in light of who Jesus is and what Jesus did? We'll look at verse 38. He says, let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, sisters, everybody in the synagogue, let it be known that through this man, Jesus, forgiveness of sins is now proclaimed to you. And by Jesus, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. And can I, can I pause and just apply that here in this room? What should you now do? You now knowing who Jesus is 
And what Jesus came, well, Paul says there, believe. Believe. So, so simple, we miss it. We make it more complicated at times. It's simply saying, put all your faith, trust, rest your entire life and eternity on this one man, Jesus Christ. Now, now, let me be clear. Paul's not talking here about just some sort of easy believism like we have in America. Just say you believe in, in Jesus as your Savior, but then there's no real following of Jesus as your Master, no obedience to Christ. No, that's a dead faith, the Bible says. A nominal Christianity, a Christian in name only, and there are thousands of nominal Christians in America. Paul is talking here about a living faith. You believe in the whole, in in this wholehearted, all of life sense. You're resting on Christ as as your your Savior, submitting to Christ as your Master. It's a faith that will ultimately, over time, produce fruit. The fruit of a changed life. People will know that's a follower of Christ. But but man, don't overcomplicate it here. It's still just faith. That's all Paul mentions here. That's all God calls you to do here. Simple, childlike faith in Christ. The Protestant reformers talked about sola fide. Salvation through faith alone. And, and what do you then receive Man, here's the amazing news. Paul mentions two mind-blowing things here. You then receive forgiveness and justification. One, you're forgiven. If you look at verse 38, let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Listen to me, please. Faith alone today in your heart, genuine faith in Christ alone, and you are forgiven. Isaiah 1, though your sins were as scarlet, he has washed them white as snow. And 2, Paul says here, you're also justified. If you look at verse 39, and he says, by Christ, everyone who believes is freed. From everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. And the Greek word for freed there, used twice in that verse, could also be translated as justified. Or declared to be righteous. And what we just hit right there, that is the Pauline doctrine of justification by faith alone. Justification by faith alone. Please hear it. Simple, living faith in Jesus Christ today. And the Bible says, you are justified. You are declared to be righteous. In God's sight. Not because you are inherently righteous, but because Christ is perfectly righteous. And through faith, His righteousness is credited to you. You're set free from your bondage to sin and death. And you see the Jews in the synagogue, they labored for years under the law to be freed from sin and death. They they'd labored for years through works to be justified before God. And Paul steps in and says, believe in Christ. And you are justified. Set free. 
<laughs> forever. Man, it is an amazingly free gift. And please catch it here. It is for anyone who believes. Paul says in verse 39 that this gift will be received by everyone who believes. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter how bad you've been. Simple faith in Christ right now. And you're forgiven, justified forever in the sight of God. One of my favorite hymns, man. Remember when this justification by faith alone was breaking into my heart. I was, I was in my early 20s. Uh, I was driving from Kansas down to Texas and I was meditating on this justification piece. And one and a hymn from my childhood just came flooding back to my mind. Here it is, Augustus Top Lady, Rock of Ages. Speaking of Christ, cleft or crucified for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water in the blood from thy wounded side that flowed be of sin the double cure, save from wrath and make me pure. And that's what you receive the second you cling to Christ with a living faith. Faith and faith alone. So man, God gives Paul this gospel door. And he's now shared the gospel word, identity, mission, call. And may God help us to do the same. You know, it seems like such a small thing to speak words. Or to write words. It's just a few letters. It's, it's, it's syllables. It's, it seems like nothing compared to a Navy rail gun or, 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 or powerful dams or, 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 or other things. But our words are extremely powerful. And when our words are gospel words about Christ, they are infinitely, eternally powerful. The instrument that God uses to spread His kingdom not through swords, but words to raise up worshipers and make disciples. But listen, one thing that these, these powerful gospel words do on this planet, and listen, if you're a Christian, you, you need to be ready for this. The, these gospel words, powerful as they are, they will divide the human race. And that's the final thing we see here, a gospel door, a gospel word, and finally, a gospel division. This entire city is now divided because of what Paul has shared, the gospel. You know, initially here, seems like a good response from everyone. Verse 42 says, Paul and Barnabas left the synagogue and the people begged to hear more. And verse 44 says that on the next Sabbath, the entire city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Now, it was primarily, most likely now, a Gentile crowd. Because the city was Gentile. So many people in this crowd now had nothing to do with Judaism. And this mix of Jew and Gentile and the preaching of the gospel now causes a problem. If you look at verse 45. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, 
reviling him. And, and we'll just see that all through Acts. The, the Jews responding to the gospel on many occasions with jealousy, with, with anger, with, with resistance. And, and why? Well, one of the reasons for the Jews, one of the things that angered them was this Pauline emphasis on faith alone. It, it was what Paul just said in verse 39, that everyone who believes is forgiven, justified. It, it was sola fide in Christ alone that, that provoked the Jews to jealousy. And why? They didn't want the Gentiles to get in that easily. That they, they couldn't believe the Gentiles could get into God's kingdom through faith alone. Surely, I think these Jews thought, surely these Gentiles needed to do some Jewish things first. <laughs> they needed to convert to Judaism to get into God's kingdom. They, they needed to follow Old Testament law, the, the, the food laws, the ceremonial laws. Surely the Gentiles needed to be circumcised like Jews to be saved. And you know, people say similar things today. They, they kind of give you the impression that you first need to do some additional things before you can enter God's kingdom. You need to clean yourself up a little bit first before God will receive you. You make yourself a little better and then come to God. You need to first do a few good works or you need to maybe go to a certain church before God will receive you. But you see, that's a justification by works. And all through Acts, Paul just keeps saying, no. <laughs> just believe. Just believe. You are not justified by works, by works of the law or other works people try to add today. You are justified by faith and by Faith alone. Jesus finished it all. <laughs> he obeyed all of God's law for you, for me. Now just receive Christ by faith. Jew or Gentile, and God will receive you as his child. And the Gentiles, they flocked to that sola fide message. <laughs> what? We can now enter God's kingdom? Just like Jews on the same footing as Jews through faith and faith alone in Christ. Oh man, but that message that the Gentiles loved, it just angered most of the Jews. Provoked them to jealousy that Gentiles could have the exact same standing in God's family simply through faith. And these Jews here now jealous as this Gentile city flocks to the gospel, they begin to revile and slander Paul, contradicting him. And at the end of the text, the anger has progressed to violence. Verse 50 says, the Jews incited, they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them now from the district. Don't know what happened. They may have cursed them, beaten them, forcefully removed them from the city. Paul and Barnabas now persecuted for Christ and the gospel. 
One of the reasons they walk away rejoicing because Jesus said, when you're persecuted for my sake, rejoice and leap for joy, for great is your reward in heaven. And they've now been persecuted for Christ. One part of this city has just rejected the gospel, but the other part of this city, mainly Gentiles, now just explodes here with joy at this gospel word. If you look at verse 46, when the Jews first resisted here, well, Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you Jews, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles, for so the Lord has commanded us. This is an Old Testament text he quotes from now, right here. The Lord has commanded us, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. And man, that right there is a pattern we see through Acts. Paul first reaches out to the Jews in each city with the gospel word, but many disbelieve. They respond violently and Paul turns to Gentiles because God has called Paul, God has called all of us to, to be a light, to, to shed the, share the light of Christ, not just with Jews, but also with Gentiles to the end of the earth. And these Gentiles hearing now that they don't have to become Jews, just believe, and God will receive them, they explode with joy, rejoicing, verse 48 says, they glorify God, and many of them now put their faith in Christ. I want you to pause, though, because there is a very important statement here in this text. If you'll look again at verse 48, Luke says this, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And that right there is just a very clear statement concerning God's sovereignty in salvation. The Greek word for appointed there could be translated as assigned or designated or chosen. Now stop and think what Paul has now said here. Paul, or what has been said here in this text, Paul just told this entire city to believe, and many do, but Luke's statement then, just to make sure we don't misunderstand how salvation works, he says, as many as were appointed by God, as many as were assigned or designated or chosen for eternal life, they were the ones who now believed. And, and, and just catch the order. Luke doesn't say that they first believed and were then appointed. No, he says that they were first appointed and then they believed. Just a very clear statement concerning God's sovereignty and salvation. Listen, God commands in the Bible that everyone now believe in Christ. Believe now. Believe now, he, here today. But the Bible's also clear that you, by yourself, you don't have the ability to believe as a lost sinner. The Bible says that you are spiritually dead, and dead people cannot believe anything. And the next time you're at the funeral, just walk up to the casket when nobody is listening, watching, and say, hey, dead guy, believe. Be believe in Christ, or 
believe that this funeral will actually get over within two hours, or he won't do it. Dead people, they don't have the ability to believe, and that's you and me in sin. The Bible says dead spiritually. So even, God, even though God commands that you believe in Christ, well, God must actually give you the ability then to believe. He must give you faith, the Holy Spirit birthing faith in your heart. Do you know that the Bible, you're, you don't believe in order to be born again. No, the Bible's clear. You have to be born again in order to believe. You have to get the Holy Spirit invading your heart in order that you might wake up from the dead and see Christ as beautiful and believe and follow Christ. And Man, we may never understand this fully, but the Bible is clear right there in other places that God gives faith to those he has appointed for eternal life. His elect, as the Bible says, his chosen people, as the Bible says. John Calvin said this. He said, this verse right here teaches that faith depends on God's choice. Since the whole human race is blind and stubborn, those faults remain fixed in our nature until they are corrected by the grace of the Spirit, and that comes only from election. But even as we say that, I I recognize that's hard to understand how that works out. Even as we say that, because it's a clear teaching, we believe, of the Scriptures, let me tell you what that does not mean. That does not mean that God will reject you if you want Christ. No, I actually had a girl come to me and say, well, then God will reject me if I want Christ. No, 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 come to Christ today. Come, simple faith in Christ. It's a free gift. The problem is that people don't naturally want Christ. People are dead in their sin, the Bible says, hostile to God. And God has to turn the human heart to desire Christ. So listen, you you know what that does mean? If you now here today, if you you do now want Christ, you, you desire Christ, you love Christ, you want to follow Christ, well, guess what? God did that. And not ultimately you. God did it. You don't ultimately find Christ, save yourself. No, Christ finds and saves you. I've shown you this anonymous hymn before. It just sums it up so well. I sought the Lord and afterward I knew. He moved my soul to seek Him, seeking me. It was not I that found, O Savior, true. No, I was found of Thee. And man, the incredibly great news for you today, if you do genuinely trust in Christ... Well, that means Christ found you. He saved you. When you were at your worst, a hostile enemy of God, He saved you. And you know what that means? If He saved you when you're at your worst, He's never going to let you go now. Ever. Now that you're seeking to follow Him, He loves you. And He will keep you to the end. And many people here who've been appointed, the Bible says, to eternal life, well, guess what? God then sent Paul to them and had him share the gospel word with these people. And God, working through this gospel word, has now sparked faith in his elect, and they come to Christ rejoicing, glorifying God, the power of the gospel word. Man, just think about it. You just speak or you write these words about Christ and God works through those little words that we speak and we write. 
to save souls. To impact all of eternity, we must share the gospel. We must, most powerful thing on the planet, but here's the thing, the gospel is divisive. Do you see it here in this text? Paul shares the gospel and it tears the city in two. Those who disbelieve, who reject, who harden themselves even more, turning against the gospel, and those who believe and receive and rejoice in faith, splitting this city. And you know what Jesus said? He would do it. Jesus said, I am coming to this earth to bring a sword. And he said he would divide even families. Some believing, some not believing. He will ultimately divide the entire human race. Do you know that the gospel message, as we share it right now, that is the thing that Jesus is using right now to separate wheat from tares. To to separate sheep from the goats. As people make a decision on Christ and choose sides. He is separating now the entire human race. And man, so I think be ready. Man, may God give us gospel doors. May we pray for gospel doors. May we step through those gospel doors and share the gospel as scared as we might be, but manage your expectations because you will, you will receive one of two things out there when you cross the pain line and share the gospel. You may be resisted, be reviled, be criticized, be rejected, persecuted for Christ. But you will also find hunger out there. You'll find the elect waiting to hear the gospel proclaimed to them. There's a statement that uh, an old preacher used about evangelism. He called it hunting the elect. When you go out and share the gospel, God is sending you in search of his appointed people. To spark faith in them through the sharing of the gospel. So may God help us to do it. Romans 1.16 May we never be ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. Well, Lord God, we, 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 we marvel that words could be so powerful. That we could just share words and things would change. Not just on this earth, but for all eternity. And we just ask for your grace, Lord. We thank you, Father, for what you've done in and through Christ to bring us into your kingdom. And we would now just ask, Lord God, as your children, loved by you no matter what, we ask, Father, For gospel doors, will you please open a door to us for the word that we might declare the mystery of Christ and give us boldness when they're there, Lord, to walk through the door and share the gospel. But Lord God, please manage our expectations. May we go knowing that we will receive one of two things, either persecution or praise. We'll see it. So Lord, help us. Direct us, Lord God. We pray. We thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen.